What's going on, guys? This is the Founder Hour podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat. And I'm Posh. And uh, we're joined by Rob Go. Is that how you pronounce your last name? It is. You also go by Rob G. Rob G. On Instagram. So what's up, Rob? Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, I know you got your hands in a lot of things, so really excited to kind of just dive in. But why don't we kind of get started with where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Give us kind of a little bit of a rundown there. Grew up in uh, the south side of, of Indianapolis, so um, near this place called Greenwood. Okay. And middle class family, um, basic childhood. Hmm. But yeah, Midwest. What's it like out there? Because we're, we're focused on LA founders, so a lot of a lot of the folks we've interviewed are actually from LA too. So okay, are you guys from LA? Yeah, yeah we're from LA too. So Got it. Kind of give us what's the. You know, it's different. There. It's um, you know, you have the the different seasons, which is great. I lived in in a neighborhood where people, you know, you're running, playing in the streets, and you have to come home when the lights come on. Whereas, like where I live now, I live in Hollywood in, in the hills, and mm-hmm. no one talks to each other. Yeah. You don't know your neighbors. I don't even know my next door neighbor has two kids until living there for like four years. So you know all your neighbors. Um, the winter, you know, you're shoveling the neighbor's driveway for them or bringing their trash cans up. So it's very, I guess, friendly and yeah. very helpful. Yeah. Kind of like those neighborhoods you see on TV. like the Yeah, it's just a normal, yeah. for, I guess, normal for me. But, yeah. you know, it's freezing cold in the winter. Uh, fall's a little chilly, hot, hot in the summer. And it's just uh, Midwest, Midwest living, I a guess. Midwest life. What did your parents do when you were growing up? So my mother uh, was always an entrepreneur trying, you know, different kinds of businesses. Um, she, you know, she made shirts for um, different things and sold them at the mall or she, um, you know, worked. she was a bus driver. She just did like odds, odd jobs, I guess, and just always kind of her main focus was really just being a mother and taking care of uh, myself and my two sisters. So her main job was that, and then she did stuff on the side, and then she became a real estate agent. But real estate agents in Indiana are much different than real estate agents here. Whereas yeah. he's in the real estate business, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, great. <laughs> so, but you're selling sixty thousand dollar homes there, huh, and right. if you're crushing it if you get like a two hundred thousand dollar home. Right. So you got to do a lot of volume. You know, here you're selling a house, you know, easily for millions of dollars. So it's a much different thing, and then. I grew up with my stepfather, who was a uh, he's he worked for FedEx for thirty years. He was a manager there, and um, that's what they did. Did you ever find yourself being more uh, influenced by your mother and her entrepreneurial, um, you know, endeavors growing up? Did you think that that's something that you wanted to do, just kind of try a bunch of different things, or did you have something that you really want to focus on? You know, you were super passionate about. X, whatever it may be. So for me, I always wanted to do my own business. Um, even when I was super young, you know, I would go to Florida and and find shark's teeth on the beach, and I'd find um, sand dollars, and I'd bring them back to Indiana and sell them in garage sales. Or I would sell rocks from the neighbor's house to the neighbor. Um, I got in trouble for selling airheads. Like their own rocks? <clears throat> their own rocks, yeah, oh. when I was really young, yeah. I was crushing it. Wow. Um, I sold airheads on the bus, did really well with that until yeah. I got busted. My mom made me give all the money to the church. I sold uh, So you were a young philanthropist? 
Yeah, always. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she forced me, but it, it was worth it. A good lesson, you know, that you should yeah. do what what is legal. And I lied to her about it and said that it was I was able to do this. Yeah. yeah. But I was just it was straight profit because my grandmother took me to Sam's Club and bought me the Airheads. So I was selling them for twenty five cents and and just classic flip crushing it yeah i was doing so what, good but like besides kind of th- those things like was there anything else you were like super interested in that kind of like if someone older was to look at you when you were a kid you'd be like oh he's gonna do that when he go- grows up i think everybody knew i was gonna do business um what was i interested in making money yeah that's all it was I why mean, why were you interested in making money i mean what was the what was the reason behind that like what was it that was driving you to be focused on making money I don't know, because I didn't really want for anything. It's not like I was, I mean, I didn't, I had no desire for physical goods. I mean, you know, I bought, with the Airhead money, I bought Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Nintendo game, and that was great, but it's not like I was one of those kids that I need stuff to be happy. I was very content with just playing with anything, you know, like we had blinds in the bedroom, Mm -hmm. and my mother got new blinds, so I took those blinds and made this this concoction where a marble would fly down mm-hmm. the thing. So it's not like I wanted stuff. I just liked the game of making money. It was like the art of the sell. I liked selling stuff. That was my that was my drug, I guess, just selling stuff. Even as a kid, I loved it. And my grandfather was very successful. He was the president of this like uh, drugstore chain called Hooks Drugs, which sold to Revco and sold to CBS. Mm. But he even... You know, getting a quarter from him was was a massive deal, um, and he retired in, when I was seven and kind of built a house next door to me. So I always had him to um, have that second father figure, but it was um, I always wanted to please him. You know, so mm-hmm. I think it was a fact that I wanted to please him eventually. But really, I think my I just like to sell stuff. Do you remember the biggest lesson you learned from your grandfather in terms of? business and you know whether it was growing a business or whether it was dealing with employees or whatever it may be was there anything that was something that you remember now looking back that he taught you that has carried on throughout your business years yeah a lot of things so one you know me i make a lot of big decisions and you know it's from how to you know setting up things in four years when we sell, like what what decisions made now are very important then from tax situations or whatever. But uh, and as a kid, I thought I was making big decisions too. And he would always, you know, so I was kind of back and forth on a lot of things. And so one advice that he gave me that I still use to this day and it really changed my life was um, just make a decision. You know, don't think too much about it. And, you know, if you are right 51% of the time, you're right a majority of the time. So at the end of the day, just make a decision and stick with it. I think for me, I, I always, I overanalyze, well, not overanalyze, but I analyze a lot of things. Yeah. And, and so. I think it's common for a lot of entrepreneurs and folks who are like are business minded. It's just like your mind is racing and you think of every scenario and like, should I do this? Should I not do this? These are all the reasons why I should do it. These are all the reasons why I shouldn't. Definitely. And you're just always thinking sometimes it's like indecision or just lagging a decision can massively affect how quickly you go to market, how quickly you take advantage of an opportunity, whatever it might might be, right? Definitely. So yeah. at the end of the day, you got to make a decision. Yeah, so that's a great. Yeah, it's a great skill to have. And if you make, you know, it's he's true though. If you make, if you make six out of out of ten decisions, you made your fifty percent. I mean, that's great. You're right a majority of the time. Mm-hmm. 
sorry, your 60%. But um, When did you get out of Indiana? So I got out of Indiana about eight years ago. Okay. So not too long ago. No, I got out of Indiana because I acquired a uh, .com, piece of a dot-com company that was already doing really well. We tried to run it from Indiana, and basically, you know, that industry, there weren't a lot of good talent at the time in Indiana. So not it's not that it wasn't good talent, but it wasn't um, experienced talent from our yeah. specific mm-hmm. business. Right. Right. So I was recruiting people from one of our competitors, and they were all out here. And mm-hmm. so I finally, and my business partner was out here. So just okay. kind of, and I was kind of, at that point, you know, I was running the whole office in Indy, and my business partner was all alone in California, and I was kind of doing more work mm-hmm. than him. And I was like, man, this is crazy. Managing these employees is a pain in the butt. Yeah. So Clearly, out. I jumped the gun here on you moving out of Indiana, but what did you do after, you know, all those years of selling, you know, whether it was the Rocks or the Airheads or whatever? I mean, how did your educational career progress? Did you end up going to high school, college, you know, grad school? I mean, what was that like? Yeah, high school, and then I went to college. So I went to this company, this place called Ball State University. Ball State. To, yeah, it's in uh, Muncie, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Letterman was there. That's what it's kind of famous for. Mm-hmm. So they're, they have a big entrepreneurship program. Like they're, they were at the time, I think, top five. So I went there for that. And then I got sick with cancer. So I took a year off for that. And I went back to Ball State. And I was already kind of, again, f- doing weird business. So I was selling OEM Microsoft products on eBay. It was like when eBay first was kind of yeah. getting going. So I would take a product. I found a blind shipper in California. I was paying like 20 bucks for these OEM products, student versions and full versions. Mm-hmm. And I was selling them for a few hundred bucks each on eBay, and I was crushing it. And anyways, I just kind of did all these different jobs. I was yeah. doing big events on campus where – their parties were shut down. The cops kind of did something wrong, and they shut down all the parties. So I would rent out this venue, and I would, and I got a caterer's license. So I was able to have alcohol, but the the company was kind of like going to a wedding, yeah. so you could have people of all ages there. And right. I charged for admitting, you know, people to come, mm-hmm. and I had performers and different contests, and and so I was. Just kind of always doing random things. Really did well. And then I moved to Indiana because the business school was just more well-known. And I felt like I already got the Indiana University. Indiana University. So you transferred there? Yeah. Okay. So it's in Bloomington, Indiana called Kelly School of Business is Mm -hmm. what the uh, goal was. So yeah, transferred there. And then started a business called, well, at Ball State, I was working on it. It was a unique auction thing that I came up with. But, yeah, moved to so Indiana. So was your major business or, like, like were you focusing on entrepreneurship or you, you, you were just kind of taking different classes? No, it was business for sure. Yeah. Uh, the major was marketing, distribution management, and economics. Okay. And it's kind of close to what I did. I did marketing and entrepreneurship. So. Oh, it's perfect. Business, yeah. And where'd you go? USC. Oh, cool. Great school. Yeah, I mean, it's a good. They had the entrepreneurship program, and then they got rid of it right when I went. So it was kind of like bummer. Got it. But it was like kind of nice too because you could make like your own thing out of it. So you can take whatever like upper division right. classes. So I, I have my thoughts about B school, but it's nice. Yeah, me too. It was good. Yeah, I think school is very important to show that you can start and complete something. Yeah, I think it's a good way to, 
meet new people, be around new environments. Um, it's an expensive way to do it, too. It's a very expensive way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, even when I was in school, I had an Indy car in the Indy 500 that I finagled and worked out, and I asked my professor, well, I asked my, this, professor, this particular story, I asked the professor for like a question about marketing, and the lady said, you know more about this stuff than I do. You have a car in the Indy 500. And then I got like a B in the class. <laughs> and so I'm like, this is such bullshit that... Yeah. You know. That's what it is. Like, I mean, most of the professors, I don't want to generalize here, but a lot of them um, teach like from either books or like their own thing, but they're not really like, they've been teaching for a long time and they're not really, they don't know what's going on right now at this very moment. One of the oldest sayings in the book is if you can't do teach. Right. I mean, you know, not, not saying that that's always the case. There are Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, people that come off the working field and come and want to give back, but Mm -hmm. But it's I mean, not as like as many people like a that. majority of them. If you can't do these entrepreneurship classes, like a lot of them haven't even started a business before. They're just academics. Like they've studied it. That's about it. They, I, I had a professor who had a PhD in entrepreneurship, but he never started a company. It's I was crazy. Like, what is this? And you, you know? spend how many thousands of dollars? Which, I don't want to talk about it. I see it every month, and I'm just crying. <laughs> it's crazy. So, um, kind of going back to when you were at Ball State. You said um, kind of in between your college career, you found out you had cancer. Can you, is there anything like you can shed light on, like how that affected? Obviously, I'm sure it affected your life a lot, but what was, like, how was that process just kind of having to take a break from school and like, or like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. So I was 18 years old. I just finished my freshman year in school, and I, the pain happened while I was still finishing up at the end of the year. So I fought through the pain. Basically, my big toe swelled up. Fought through it to the end of the year. We came back to Indianapolis. I got some doctor visits in, at, in Muncie. Um, they make, misdiagnosed everything. But you think about it. When you're 18 years old, you think that you're invincible. Right. You think that, you know, you don't really have any worries. You're 18 years old. What, right. what do you have to worry about? Um, you have nothing to worry about. So for me, it was just a life change. And I don't think I even realized what it was, like how – you know, big it was, what I was going through, or what yeah. I was about to embark on. But, you know, even when you get this particular cancer, it's a bone cancer, very aggressive. And, you know, normally you have about 70% chest in dying. I don't even think I realized kind of what that meant because I don't even think I ever thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. I always just was like, screw it, whatever, just let's get it going. So you were positive about it from day one? I mean, you were just yeah. like... Whatever this too shall pass. Yeah, I was pretty damn positive about it. I just, I've always just had this mentality that I'm just gonna get through anything and I'm gonna crush it. What do you think makes you that way, man? I, I don't know. I mean, because I really believe it, and that's the weirdest thing. Because there's nothing. I mean, even with you know business, when there's big downswings and certain things, I'm just. I don't really, I'm just like, this sucks, and I, I'm wearing it on my shoulders, but I have, I never think, oh, I'm going to fail. I've just never thought I was going to fail at anything. I just know that I'll, I'll be fine. I think it's, I think my mother, you know, during my whole life, she's always been that person that said, can't never did anything. So if I, if I said, oh, I can't do that, she's like, can't never did anything. <laughs> like, you can do anything, like, do it. And I think probably her telling me this my whole life, like constantly, because as a kid, you're like, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. And her just making you do it anyways. 
that probably just transformed me. Um, because yeah, I just, even with that, I, I just knew I'd be okay. And you obviously ended up being okay. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you know, it was a rough journey at the end. So, uh, you know, your body gets worn down over, you know, this is 17 months about of chemotherapy and really intense, not you know, you're in there for five days straight, just getting pounded, and then you'd be out for two weeks, and you have no immune system. But then you go back for, you know, big. You know, it's like the, it's a whole thing. Every you go five days straight, out for two weeks, five days or three days straight, out for two weeks, yeah. five days straight, and you just keep doing it. Um, and at the time, like you're not able to really do much else, right? Can't really be around people either because yeah. you have no immune system. Yeah, right. Your white blood cells. Yeah, you don't low, want to take that risk. Everything. So I could I couldn't eat fruits or vegetables because they have mold spores that were constantly fighting off. Uh, couldn't, yeah, I just couldn't really do much. There'd be like a few days that I have people over and play, play poker, or, you know, have yeah. some guys over, but. So like, here you are, like you're 18 years old, you're literally given like a 30% chance of living, right? Like, like, I mean, I know you said like kind of reshapes the way you think about it, but like, how, how has that really impacted kind of just like the rest of the trajectory of your life up until now? Like, has it. I mean, how how has it impacted it? So I think two things. One, I think you have to realize that we're not promised tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, anybody that dies today, like they didn't go in thinking today is their last day. Right. Um, you wake up and you think about the shitty things you have to do next month or the bills you have to pay or the whatever. You always have plans. I mean, and it can be changed in a brief second. Um, there was this girl that I went to high school with. She was older than us, but she, like a year old or something, but she was this uh, big gymnast, and that was her dream. And she had a full ride to school, and um, she that was her life. And then on the way back from a college visit, they got in a wreck, and she became paralyzed from neck down. Hmm. So you know that young girl had her whole life that she probably dreamt right. of and, and said, this is what my life is going to be like. I'm getting ready to go to college, and it's going to be great. And then... And a second, she's her life is very different. So I think for me, it just showed that appreciate every damn second and every moment to be healthy and every moment to be here, and and that it could be changed in a in you know in a brief second, and to really I guess always appreciate waking up and appreciate the life you're able to live. I mean, not a day goes by that I don't wake up and like in my house looking out the view or look you know looking at your car looking at who you're around and going, dude, I am so lucky to be here. I cannot believe this is my life. Um, so I think that probably, but I've always been a positive person, but that probably changed mm-hmm. and probably just um, reassured myself that I can yeah. get through anything. And, and I'm sure it put a lot of things into perspective, like for your life. So when you did get, get, you know, back to school and kind of just back to regular day to day, did did you have like a dead set focus on like, I want to do this thing or was it still kind of like, I, I'm trying to figure it out or I want to do, I want to do business, but I don't know what yet. Um, I've always known that I want to do business. So I just always had that. Like I was kind of ready just to get back and going. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a very aggressive and hungry person. So I wanted to get back to school. I want to get it over with. I want to, I was always that kid that wanted to like make money. Yeah. So, not and it's not the Which money is tough, part. Tough to do while 
in school because you have to go to all these classes and you're spending money to go. But, but I was in school though. I was doing other things. You know, I yeah. did those events. Right. I did you know I did other stuff. So I think for me it was just I wanted to get back in the game. Were you like the popular connected kid on campus? Like did people know you, or you were just kind of always behind the scenes? Uh, I mean, I was. I lived in a fraternity. Um, yeah, I, I knew a lot of people. You know, I think the fraternity helped. Um, I was always just kind of friends with everybody, so I didn't really stick to. I wasn't really super close with anybody or a lot of people, but I was friends with everybody. Does that make mm-hmm, sense? Mm-hmm. Totally. A lot of acquaintances, not many best friends. Exactly right. So, and and that and I. That's yeah. That was my deal. And then when I got sick, because you have a lot of acquaintances, not a lot of close friends, not a lot of people are going to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was uh, that was a lesson at eighteen. When you think all these people are yeah your friends, not just acquaintances, right. and they're going to all be there. And then you know. So I'm sure when you got back into it, I mean, you were kind of much more mature than everybody else, just because life had given you this, you know. I guess it had dealt you this hand that you didn't really know that you were going to deal with, and you got through it. And you did you finish? Did you end up finishing school? I finished school, but I finished from the Kelly School of Business, but in Indianapolis. So I got went it. to then a year Bloomington, and then I moved to Indianapolis to finish to to chase this dream of this tech yeah. company, and because the business school denied me. At, in Bloomington, mm. so the loophole was to go and get in in Indianapolis. Got it was like a different campus, different campus, same degree. Got it. So the what happened was I had a, a teacher and gave me a bad grade. Uh, this teacher was wrong with the grade that I <laughs> that she gave me. So I uh, I got the grade by going above her head, mm. but getting the grade then it blacklisted me from getting into the business school. So. Uh, Learn politics at a very young age, yeah. but I also learned loopholes, and that's why I just transferred to Indianapolis. I got the same degree. Great. So you, you win a short, you win the the battle, but you lose the war. You know, so that's what I learned. Like I got my 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 grade, but I lost. You know, you got to play more calculated. Than right. Exactly. But so what was this tech company that you were chasing? You said. So it was called Bitteroo. It was a unique bid auction. Uh, it was the first one out. So. What it was is I would sell, let's use a plasma television, for example. So let's say a plasma television retails for $1,000. So I would sell it for 50 bucks. And the way the winner was found was it was the highest unique bid closest to the my price, the bidder price, without going over. So basically, if you bid 50 and you bid 50, you're not unique. Mm-hmm. So you do not win. Mm-hmm. If I bid forty nine ninety nine, and I was the only one that bids that amount, I would win it for that price. Makes sense. But it win. can't exceed fifty. You can't go over fifty. Don't you want it to go over fifty? No. So the way I made money is every bid placed, win or lose, mm. is ten bucks. Mm. So in theory, I'd bring in a thousand bids at ten dollars a pop. So ten thousand bucks. So I'd make ten grand and sell a television for forty nine ninety nine. Makes sense. Yeah. It's but would those? But would those other? People that have n- did not win come back. They would because they would just like. I mean, because it seems more like gambling. <clears throat> so it's gamified, but it's gambling. So it is a. It's similar to a raffle. Yeah. But mm-hmm. gambling was illegal at the time. Right. This is another loophole. <laughs> so I've hired lawyers when I didn't have money, yeah. and I spent every dollar I had on lawyers to make sure I wouldn't go to jail because mm-hmm. I was 
you know, conservative yeah. Indiana, and, and you want to make sure. Yeah. So basically, I spent sixty thousand dollars, I think, in college. I spent college loans and stuff paying these lawyers for information that should have been a very simple right. problem. So basically, to be gambling at the time, I don't know how it is now. You had to have three things: a game of chance, a cost to enter, and a prize. You had two out of the three. <clears throat> if you get rid of one, it's not gambling. Right. But the prize would be the the television, a game of chance. I proved that it was not a game of chance. Right. And the guys that won won about every time because basically there was there was a flaw in the system to where basically everybody would throw a dart at the dartboard. They'd throw like three darts. They'd go fifty, forty nine ninety eight, forty nine ninety one, and everybody threw darts. But if you bid for ten or twenty bids. And you just fill in every spot, 50, 499, 499, 97, 96, 95. You, got you would assist. win. Yeah. Oh. Normally you'd win. So we got rid of that by showing that it was a game of skill. And then the cost to enter, the $10, we also got rid of that uh, by saying, refer some friends and you get free bids. Hmm. So there was no cost to enter um, if, you didn't, if you didn't want to. So we got rid of two of the three and you don't have to get rid of one. Yeah. So that's how I fought it. And was this online? Like it was on a website or an it app? It was or? online, yeah. Huh. What year is this? Before apps, that's for sure. Um, this was probably um, early 2000s. Oh. Yeah. So you think about it. People are also worried about, um, you know, is my credit card going to get stolen? You know. Yeah, how legit is this? Yeah, yeah it was a different, it was tough. And it was just you? Or like you just had a me. I mean, I wasn't the developer. I hired a, a lady out of India. Uh, who eventually moved to, to the U.S. on a 501c3 or a yeah nonprofit? Not a nonprofit. Sorry, uh, like visa, a visa, student visa. It's a long time like ago. An S1 but, yeah. or something. Yeah, so she S9, moved. I don't know what it's called. Her and her husband, and and she was my developer, and and you were just running this out of like what your dorm room or something. So I was run. Well, I moved to Indianapolis for it. So oh yeah, I was yeah running it. I, you know, I tried to raise a bunch of money. I couldn't find it. I met this guy in the process, and he didn't invest money, but he gave me an office at his uh, at his office. So I for equity or just like no, he just back. gave me a couple of months to work out of this office. Yeah. I dressed up every day like I was this old man, and <laughs> and I was trying to, <laughs> trying to get this this thing going. So how'd it go? I mean, you said you, you got yeah, it went good. I mean. Good for you know. I thought I was, I thought I was crushing it, but you know, looking back, I was not. Uh, but it did lead me to learn a lot, and it led me to my next, I guess, thing, which was running this uh, online business, this thing called affiliate marketing for a big brand in town called Finish Line. So yeah, finish that line. experience kind of led me to that, and then that's where. Are they are this finish line from India? India? Yeah. Oh, okay. They moved. So at that time it was. And then right when I was exiting, they were moving to like their dot com piece to mm. Denver or something. Got it. Yeah. So, so yeah. how did that transition happen? Did you end up selling the other company or? Yeah. So sold it to some guys. I, uh, or, you know, I was kind of bored, didn't know what to do. And then uh, my grandfather always said, you need to work for somebody for three years. And, you know, obviously I did not agree with him because I was an entrepreneur yeah. and I could do this on my own. But 
his advice uh, always meant a lot to me, and I always wanted to kind of make him proud. So that's where Finish Line came into the picture. And his advice was incredible because it was the best advice he could have given me. How long did Bitteru last? <clears throat> Seven years or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So this was like pretty much your entire college? Yeah. So when did you start at Finish Line? Was it after? Like, like Yeah, I graduated college. And then, yeah, I graduated college, kind of, you know, exited for a little bit of, of Bitteru and, and tried that. Mm-hmm. And then I tried the retirement for a few months. <laughs> what did How you do? How did that feel? <laughs> I was bored. I mean, my, my girlfriend at the time was working. My friends were in school or working. So I had nothing to do. So I was driving up to this casino and Gambling. losing money. <laughs> Actually. <Someone's, laughs> yeah. So wh- when you started Finish Line, what was your role there or... So I was, uh, my first role was just doing affiliate marketing. Did you know anything about that? Didn't even know what the hell it meant. Yeah. And For those of our listeners that don't know what it is, what was it, what is it? So basically it's, so at the time you would buy ads online and you pay for like a CPM and yeah. it would be five bucks. Yeah. So affiliate marketing is basically you only sell, you only pay if they make a sale. Right. And then you're paying a commission. Mm-hmm. So cost per acquisition cpa is what some people say but were these like the banner days banner days yeah banner days so now it's like obviously like instagram influencers are like affiliates in a a way right right but But, like before that but before that they're actually um websites actually made sales whereas influencers aren't really converting right Right. yeah (laughs) um it's a whole other podcast yeah breaking news (laughs) yeah but it's uh yeah so banners and and basically coupon sites were a massive uh thing because anytime you know we've we've basically we've shown the world that there's always going to be a coupon so at the shopping cart on finish line or any other brand you'd see this this coupon code box and so that we've trained the consumer to go and google what the hell a coupon okay i'll go and google it so they would go and google finish line coupons and that's where a lot of these affiliates were making their money they'd get they'd get you know 10 percent commission more right. some less we had the founder of honey on our podcast a while back who's that they basically take all no these... i know i know honey who'd you have on oh oh um, ryan. ryan hudson okay yeah a guy that used to work for me uh works over there oh really I'm not a fan. <laughs> and, and but that's pretty much what they're they're doing is like they're, they're taking all these coupon codes from they're online. They're stealing interest. commissions from retailers. I mean, honestly, I would if I was a retailer, I would not Work. I would not have yeah. honey in my affiliate program mm-hmm. at all because mm-hmm. you know what how the honey works, it's a toolbar company that a lot of these guys, there's a lot of other ones, they're not the first by any means. Um, Shop at Home has been notorious for having uh, toolbars for a long time. Retail me not, everybody's had them. Yeah. So basically what happens is I, the consumer, go to, let's say, Finish Line, or let's use Dope, for example. I go to dope.com, and I am i don't know there's coupon sites. I don't know there's affiliate things, and all of a sudden it pops up. Hey, right. there's a coupon, and these people get commissioned. Right. I pay them commission for not even bringing the consumer. Right. They were going to buy anyways, mm-hmm. and now I'm paying these toolbar honey, you know, a commission, yeah. which they did not deserve and they didn't bring the sale and now just raping the retailer. Isn't, just to play devil's advocate here because I like that, but isn't that also beneficial to you because now the consumer that has landed on your page organically or through some other way also got this positive user experience because they got a discount. So now they can potentially become a more loyal customer? No, they are going to buy anyways. So 
they are going to be content and happy. And if they wanted a coupon, then they would just go and Google it in and do it anyways. So I would say no. Okay. It's a fair answer. Yeah. I mean, because I, they're, they're ready, like literally on the page where you click like place order. Right. They're, they're there. <laughs> they didn't bring like the me the consumer. The it's like you're just, you're just, I'm paying you commission on my own sales. My I mean, own. they're making a lot of money from Amazon, if I'm not mistaken, because mm. I mean, it's on like every other Amazon product. Yeah. There's like honey. Well, and this is the deal. The problem also with, with these toolbars is they cookie stuff. Right. So cookie stuffing is basically, you don't even know, like let's say you're on Amazon. There's no coupons for Amazon. Mm-hmm. So you're on Amazon shopping. You have their toolbar. They're automatically cook. They're stuffing right. your computer with the cookie, so that they get credit for the sale, even though they didn't do anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, they're stealing commissions from from retail from every yeah. retail, and there's and they're basically having a virus on your computer where they're getting paid every time you shop. Yeah. It's it's a virus, and That's you're agreeing it to it. You're agreeing to having this virus on your computer. Now, not only are they getting paid, but they're also seeing every single. Everywhere you go, yeah. everywhere you go on the internet, and they can control your search results. So if you Google something, and they know that they're, they can change that Google search result, result that, yeah. that Google search result. It's crazy if people allow these things on their computer. It's a virus. That's what it is. It's an interesting viewpoint. I like that because we were. I mean, my company. You know that a lot of our competitors had these, right? And we looked into launching one. This for finish line? No, this is when this is after finish line. I had a, a coupon site. Got it. It sold to coupons.com. And, but we, you know, we were one of the largest affiliates in, in the world, and especially working with all these major brands. So we looked for how do we make more money? How do we keep growing? So we mm-hmm. looked at, you know, a toolbar. And at the end of the day, it's just a shady business, and none of the retailers liked it. And there's right. so many things that, that are wrong with it. And so we decided that let's stick to what we do and doing white hat right. things and, and not being shady with toolbars. So that's essentially what affiliate marketing was or is, and that's what you were doing at Finish Line. Yeah, sorry. So, no, no, no. I mean, it was a, it was a good. It was I went a good on a rant. It was I a good about toolbars in a very long time. Well, yeah, no, I'm I'm glad I'm glad it came out. Um, what was the biggest takeaway from just working at at a big company like Finish? I don't know how big it was at the time, but uh, I know, I'm sure they were in every mall at the, at the time. I mean, listen, I, I my biggest takeaway is work for a company for three years and then learn relationships, learn what you're doing, and then go do your own thing. So for me, I learned it. I learned it inside and out. I created relationships. So me, I created relationships with retailers and affiliates. Mm-hmm. And then I went ahead and, and I owned an affiliate site and utilized those same relationships, all those retailers, because I was in the same industry. We'd go to all these different conferences and you become friends with these guys. Then when I acquired the affiliate site, then I just hit up all my relationships Macy, Sears, Home Depot, whatever, and said, "Hey, you, we should work together. You should come in and let me do deals with you." So I think that's the biggest takeaway: is you know, use every piece of your life to your advantage, and you know that I learned a lot about um, relationships of the affiliate side. I learned all what what all my clients were doing. I would just ask him, "Hey, what are you doing? How how are you doing this?" So for four years, they were giving me all the information because I was on the retailer, and I was, you know, becoming legitimately friends with the, you know, my, the whole industry. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I, when I started my own, it was, I had my clients. I read somewhere that you were a big part of the growth of Finish Line. I mean, what was your day to day like? What were the responsibilities you had? What did you do to have that result of ultimately helping this company grow? 
So you, so a lot of the retailers, you know, you're managing so many affiliates. We had thousands of affiliates. So it's tough to like have a relationship with these guys. So, f- so you're just a number. They would send you and say, here, 20% off coupon and we'll pay you 10% commission. So as an affiliate, you're adding the coupon to the website or you're, you're writing a, a blog article or whatever and then you're hoping for 10% commission. So what I, like you're, why I'm, but you're, think about it from an affiliate standpoint, I'm also working with, let's put myself out of the affiliate side. So I worked at Finish Line. So the affiliates are working with thousands of retailers as well. Mm-hmm. So if I'm just emailing them, like them seeing my email and putting any effort behind it, good luck. So what I did was I was, I was personally calling them, personally emailing them, figured out who my top guys were and built relationships. So now instead of being one of the thousands of people they're working with, I'm their most important. Mm-hmm. So now they're going to give me more love and put me on their homepage placement. They're going to you know, work on their marketing efforts to drive sales for me because now it's like they're getting attention. And, and who were these brands just like high level? Like what kind of brands were they? Were they like in the apparel business or just so other? for finish line, you know, my biggest affiliates were definitive deals, mm-hmm. which was, you've never heard of it, but that was the company that I ended up acquiring half of, mm-hmm. um, you know, that business was doing millions of dollars a year. Uh, there was retail me not, there was coupons.com wasn't big at the moment. Um, you know, you had a lot of these like, yeah. different coupon sites or mm-hmm. affiliate sites. And so then what I would do is no one ever did a contest before and they were all, you know, the, at this point, I was dealing with all the owners. So they were, you know, making millions of bucks a year. So the, me giving them a television, okay, that's not going to incentivize them. So I would do trips. And I got I got the okay by just trying to, you know, plead my case uh, to the board and to the my bosses. And anyway, so I started doing, you know, highest percentage growth year over year. And then I'll take you to Aruba. I did one to Costa Rica. I did one to, you know, did two cruises. I did one to Prague and Amsterdam. I just did all these kind of crazy things. And that really drove sales because everybody's fighting to go on these trips with me. Yeah. And um, how big was that team? Like, were you just like running? It was just me. Thing? Okay. So you're, who were you answering to? Like the CMO? Uh, I forget the title of the person, but probably, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was like a really small, like yeah, within but, that big company. Like it was just like your thing. Yeah. Because you think about it. Yeah, I mean, the business wasn't that big. It was, you know, probably internet. I mean, affiliate was like 3% of their business. Um, so it was. Small. And you grew it to what percent by the time you were out? 27 or something. So a third. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. Of their online business. Yeah, it was big. So you were there three years? Four years, I think. And then you knew, like, that was it? Like, you had to move on to your own thing or. I mean, you know, they treated me very well. I liked working there. At that point, I mean, anywhere when you're there for four years, you've got this thing on autopilot. Yeah. Um, so, and, I, and the growth was consistent because I had all the relationships. You know, it's like if you do something, you have every, you just text, yeah. you text the people instead of emailing them, like, yo, I need more mm-hmm. sales, help me out. Um, so I was, I was comfortable. Right. But, you know, also you, my life isn't, about being comfortable, but right. it was tough because you have this consistent living in, in, in Indianapolis. I was living great. Uh, I put money that I made from that into other things. Uh, and then from my previous dot com, I invest in other things. So, you know, I like had, other businesses. Yeah. 
So I had that kind of, you know, growing for me. But like, And did you know about, sorry to cut you off, but did you know like a lot about just investing in companies or did you kind of go with your gut feeling? Like what was your approach to investing at that time? No, I was an idiot. I invested in a bar um, <laughs> because it was across from my house. And these two slime balls, um, Sean Cannon, and I can't think of this other guy's name, um, just complete losers and frauds and i mean i went back to indianapolis i still own this damn thing went back and ordered a drink and they said sorry we bought the bar like six months ago you don't own it so these these yeah. idiots sold the company didn't even tell me oh my god so you know you just yeah i was an idiot i was young and just invested with uh with crooks <laughs> so you know you live and learn and uh and every investment that you make you try to learn a little bit more how to protect yourself and also, I think that's important too, because then if you ever raise money, which I've never raised money before, but if I ever do raise money, which, um, you know, you want to make sure that you see all the slime balls that you've put money into before and what they've done, that you're like, man, I wish you would have treated me differently. Yeah. Like, give me some stats on how the company's doing. Let me know what's going on. Like, give me some updates instead of just at the end of the year. Or you know when I when the investor asks for information, give it to them. Which you don't even know if it's like accurate or not because there is no system in place. Right. <laughs> so I think it's I think that's what life's about. Oh, so you is, made thirty thousand dollars in profit this year. Interesting. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, I was basically very content and and you know in my head I was crushing it. I was making great money for being a young guy. And you were like what twenty five, twenty six years old, or no, nah, it's probably. I don't know, probably let's say 25 or something. Yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe, I'm not sure. But uh, I was comfortable. And then the president of Finish Line, I, you know, I was working out with him, played ping pong with him. He was a nice guy. And um, so then he retired, and I was kind of thinking about going anyways. And so I just resigned right after him and figured, hey, this is a perfect time to, perfect reason to go. And did you have, like, I know you said you, you acquired the other coupon company did like did that happen kind of at the same time or you just left and then figured that out so when i resigned basically then he called me and said copycat you know stay around for a little bit yeah and uh so i i did and so i you know i plan on you know i stayed around for a few months and in those three months or a few four months however the hell it was i just started reaching out to all the affiliates hmm. that i worked with that where i was managing and basically saying you know, I'm moving on soon. I let's let's work something out. Let's partner up. And I know this industry. I know the relationships. You know me. So let's uh, let's do it. So, you know, it's tough doing that and and wanting a big piece of the business like I wanted and I thought I deserved. It's got to be the right business. You can't go into a massive company and say, "Hey, I want equity." They're gonna right. say, "Fly a kite," you know. Yeah. So catch uh, us at the IPO. I'm sorry? Catch us at the IPO or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I found, I mean, I knew this guy and I I liked him. We became friends over the years. Uh, one of, He was our biggest affiliate. And, you know, the friendship grew that, we, you know, I trusted him. I thought he was great. I got to know his wife uh, and he had a son. And, you know, he was just a one-man shop doing a, an incredible business. And I thought he also, from a business partner, would be perfect for me because he was completely kind of different than me as far as what I brought to the table and what he brought to the table. And 
So he agreed. And uh, then we partnered up. I got 20% of the business, but then I earned 10% increments until we doubled. Okay. And then I would add 50%. And we were 50 50 partners. And what was the business? I don't know if it's called Definitive Deals. Oh, oh, so that was okay. But we rolled it in. We called it a different company, and and you know tried different things and did different businesses within it. But it was all Definitive Deals. And you said this was one guy running it. Initially, yeah, one guy running it, and then, and then him and I then started recruiting talent from other competitors. Yeah. Were you were you happy doing this? Like, I mean, looking back, were you content with the? industry that you were in and with the work that you were doing on day, you know day to day and waking up and being just pumped to go to work and hustle i mean is that something that you enjoyed looking back i loved it because you think about it going back to when i was a kid when i told you i loved like the sale and getting a deal done this was getting deals done every day because i was going and winning you know um home depot and getting their trademark rights and you know or 1-800 contacts or bloomingdales or macy's or I was going and winning these accounts, and that was kind of like my fun, you know, and that's what I love to do. Mm-hmm. So there was this big brand at one of the conferences, this massive brand, and uh, they never accepted this kind of trademark rights. Because right. everybody could be affiliated. We were doing the search, but we had to go and get the rights from the trademarks for the brands, mm-hmm. and it's just tough to get because, yeah. uh, you know, a big brand wants to protect their, their trademark. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at this uh, conference. And these uh, two ladies were at the at the um, table. We were like it was like lunch. It was myself, my business partner, and it was two other competitors, the owners of it. And one of them was a big affiliate for this brand. I think their largest. I mean, they were a massive uh, business in the affiliate side. And so I waited it out. I've, this lady said what company it was. So I waited out until these the two other owners, these two other businesses, my competitors, left because they already worked with this brand. They didn't, you know, they had a relationship. It was yeah. fine. And then as soon as they left, I brought up trademark or whatever. Or I remember my business partner looked at me and said, I know what you're going to do. You have no chance. And I was just, I, I've always thought I can just get it, whatever, do whatever, you know. So I'm like laughed in my head going, this guy is no chance. Come on, of course I'm going to get this done. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, yeah, we ended up getting that that big brand. We got the rights. Mm. But I just liked that impossible mm-hmm. like, going after those big Also, deals. in the meantime, you're like meeting all these people. Like, yeah. like big people at big companies where it's like... This, and you become I mean, friends. You think yeah. about it. We are going to these industry events in Vegas twice a year or something, in New York, in Santa Barbara, in Texas, you're going around all throughout the year, let's say six times a year, and seeing them for a week at a time and going to incredible parties, incredible mm-hmm. events all together. So you become really close to these people and you do this for, you know, four years. Yeah. yeah. You be, and, Which well, is like more. a form of capital in and of itself. It's like social capital. Like you, you make money and you make deals, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs and people in business, like in general, um, they could be working at a company too. Who are in that deal making process forget that like they're just so focused on the money aspect and making those deals, but they're not really cognizant of the fact that you're building relationships. So focus on that too, because that's just as important, if not more. And I was young, yeah. So I liked that stuff. Like I was throwing massive parties um, for both Finish Line and when I had my own business, mm. and so I liked that aspect. Now I'm older. I don't have to work like. I, 
I'm, I'm only going to have dinner with you if I like you. Mm-hmm. Or I'm only going to hang out with you if, if yeah. I really like you, you know? So it's like back then, I was just ready to network because that's just, I loved it. I love meeting new people. I love hanging out with new people. And I was just more hungry. I was, you know, I had to grind. So you become really, yeah, you become friends with those guys. And then you all want to help each other because we, everybody, it wasn't like California. Everybody lived in Indiana, like weird places, not weird places, but you know, not, they live in places where it's like real people, Mm -hmm. you know, like Indiana where it's, you're, you like them because they're good people. Mm -hmm. Whereas I, where some parts of the world, you, you like them because how, what they can do for you. And this industry was so great because it was like Indiana people, like, you were friends with them because it wasn't. I wasn't friends with them because they were going to give me a better coupon mm-hmm. or a better commission. Yeah. You're friends with them generally because they were nice like people. Out with them. Yeah, they're yeah. cool. They're nice. They're sweet. And they they didn't want anything out of you. They they only going to get paid X dollars a year, and then yeah, doing they're this actually bit. craving those real relationships at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, did you end up selling this business as well, or yeah, I sold it. Changed my life. Uh, sold it to a public company, Silicon Valley. Yeah, three years. It was good. That was coupons.com. So. Yeah, I mean, we were always doing well because the business was doing so well, so we were making great money. But you know, then it's like a big exit. It's great. And how? I mean, what was the feeling then? I mean, were you just like overjoyed, or were you just like, all right, perfect, on to the next thing? I was kind of just like, all right, cool. This is great because again, it's like the money didn't really change for me like i didn't care really about the money i just liked the game of it <clears throat> so it was uh yeah it was they just, approached you or were you like ready no, to sell? we hired an investment bank out of, out of silicon valley that sold uh one of our other competitors called retail me not gotcha i think retail me not got like 180 million cash plus stock um so yeah, so I hired the same. I flew out to Melbourne. The founders of those company met with one of them and talked about the investment bank, and so we hired that one. So you guys felt like, oh, retail me not just got sold. Like we're in a good position to get sold to to whatever another big competitor. I was strategic from the beginning, as far as you know. I kind of had a plan that was in three years we were going to sell. So mm-hmm. first year, build a great business, hire the right people. Second year utilize that growth from that team to really grow it and third year and the whole time build like a brand of the industry no one really built a brand mm-hmm. uh and so that's what we did we threw big parties we we campaigned for awards and really built a brand within that industry so we're kind of like the best out i would say we're the best in the industry from yeah. a branding standpoint from a you know we did stuff for those clients for every major brand yeah um, we were just really on it. And, and strategically, like you knew like what you were building, these brands like coupon, coupons.com would need that. Well, I didn't know coupons was going to be our buyer. Um, that was a strategic fit for them because mm-hmm. they were great at organic search results and driving traffic that way. And we mm-hmm. were great at driving traffic via paid search right. uh, with a trademark right. So for them, it was great because um, let's, you know, organically you're, very risky because Google can change their algorithm at any time. And then you go from the first spot on the page to the last spot. So you go from making, you know, millions and millions of dollars per account to zero. So for them, it was a good move. I think in my head, because you're kind of limiting, you know, we were very, we weren't really a risky play. Cause if we lost Macy's, 
we still had Bloomingdale's. If we lost Bloomingdale's, we still had Sears. If we lost Sears, we still had Overstock. So we had, you know, but whereas if you change one algorithm, you lose all of them. Yeah. So we were like a good safe play. In mm-hmm. addition, we had such great relationships that let's say one retailer, they're getting paid 3%, whereas we are getting paid 8%. Mm-hmm. So we got, so if you could just switch, you know, 500 of those accounts to be more commission because of our relationships, right. it was a good strategic play. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was a good strategic fit for, yeah. So you end up selling the business. Like, I mean, I'm sure like everything changed, but like how, what, what was life like after that? Like, what did you even know what you would be doing? So stayed there for 18 months and like helping, you know, transition over, transition yeah. over my business partner, I think is still there year, oh, really? years later. Cause you know, they, they basically pay you, um, I don't know what I'm supposed to, what I'm allowed to say from the deal. Cause I, I'm not allowed to say numbers, yeah. but, but generally it's like a combination of like, they pay you big front up front yeah. and then it's an earn out over for extra, little extra it was an earn out over 18 months. Yeah. And then it was like. You could stay there for another four years and get yeah. paid. It's kind of like vesting your, you know, shares or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I was. It's like, usually like three, no. four years they make you stay if you want, or you can yeah. turn down the money yeah. and, and walk away. So yeah. my business partner took the money and stayed and worked, and I said, "I'm good. I'm going to do my own shit." So let's go. And that was dope. Well, then, then I invested in this vapor company, um, and you know, I took some time just to travel for three years and invest in things. So I invest into this, I um, invest in this vapor company. Um, yeah. So I did that one. And that's anywhere. That's or? anywhere. Yeah. So it's, it, it pivoted to another industry that I didn't know they would go to when I first invested. Right. Um, Which was but like now vapor. this is like later on where like you're older, you're, you've seen more, you're more experienced. What was your strategy at this point? Not, not just kind of throwing money at any business. Like, did you have a, I like big multiples. So that's why I always like tech. It mm-hmm. sells for big multiples. Mm-hmm. And I saw vapor as another big multiple, you know, it, it was, um, tr- when they were, these businesses were selling for, yeah, took CBD 10 times revenue or yeah. five, you know, it was, it's, it's the THC back when, Vapor was what weed is right now from mm-hmm. a revenue from a um, exit standpoint. So I like those. Uh, you know, clothing, the revenue or the, the multiple you sell for it's not that much is bullshit. So <laughs> I didn't buy dope for clothing because the multiple is not there. I bought dope to go into THC the and branding. Yeah, because the multiple it's just a much bigger multiple. Yeah. So, and the clothing and stuff is kind of like a supplementary thing. It's a branding move, you know. Yeah, and yeah that's it's a marketing play. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's an incredible brand that's been mm-hmm. around for a very long time. And yeah, so how did that happen? I mean, was it just a brand that had been going for years, and you just came in and bought the entire thing, or you invested in it? What was that like? It it's, it was founded in Indiana. Met the guys really? a long time ago, like ten years, eleven years ago. Tried to invest, didn't make sense from me or them. Kept in touch. Tried to buy it. Four years ago, they didn't have some trademarks that I wanted, and they, and they also had a lot of debt uh, that I didn't know about. And then, um, and then I sold, and I was, you know, I'm like, hey, this is everywhere in the world. I'd go, I'd see dope, um, consistently watch the products be great quality products. They never, you know, I guess devalued the brand by selling a bunch to TJ Maxx right. or Marshalls, uh, Marshalls or yeah. whatever. And so, and a lot of times, that's what they'll do. They'll just, you know, the brand will peak, and then they'll just start 
pimping it out at those places and just tank the brand. They never did that. Yeah. It's always taken consistently high quality product, high price product. The the right people have always been wearing it. And the name. I mean, they have and a tra- the name is incredible. That. So that's why I came in and I bought 100% of the business. Did they have the trademark for THC back then too or no? Um, yeah, they, that's what got me the... That's what got the interest for me. You can't trademark a drug, uh, right? But I have it for, for like everything products. else. Yeah, I have it for vaporizer, smoking right. tips, bongs, right. all these different things. But so I can go into whatever you know with those lighters, ashtrays. Mm-hmm. I think the name is so perfect for that, right? And if you continue to make the best quality product in those those fields, then you'll be fine for sure. And that's that was the plan from the from the beginning, correct? So that was how long ago? How many years ago? Two years. Two years ago. So you bought. Dope. And did you even like know anything about running a retail or like a clothing business or you were just kind of like, <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, I thought I knew a little, but then you realize, you know, nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the fun thing about, you know, I think for me, tech was like easy template. I could do it again. Mm-hmm. I wanted a more of a challenge. So, and I, again, I like big multiples, so that's where I thought I could take it, but no, I didn't know clothing. Um, <laughs> I can like can't even tell you that I I mean what what I thought I knew I was so wrong. Yeah. What did you know? <sighs> well, looking back, I knew nothing. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, was it like the e-commerce play that got you? Like, oh yeah, this is like I can figure this Shopify thing out too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I knew I knew how to drive revenue online. That's what I've been doing. So, dope. dot com. What a great domain. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a re- I was on the retail side, grew a finish line massively. Mm-hmm. So I thought I could just do that. And what was different? I mean, what was what went what not what went wrong, but like what surprised you? Well, I mean, clothing is just an interesting business. Um, this brand was very wholesale driven, so you have to figure out how to maneuver that, and um, you know, product has to you know we're because we're wholesale driven, we're we're designing product you know, a year in advance and Mm -hmm. making sure that it's hot and predicting what's going to be hot in a year in advance. So uh, just learning that and learning how to maneuver and how to to grow and to be an industry leader, Mm -hmm. it was uh, a learning process. And still every day we're learning and getting better. I'll tell you, the company today is a thousand times better than when I bought it. And uh, and we're getting better and better every day. Is that because of your vision of the future or is it just because you've been able to actually figure out what it is that the company was doing well and focus on that so it's a combination of everything um i think the team is different now so you know that it plays a big part in it i think we've got an incredible team um the the systems in place now are better the product is better uh, the marketing is better. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, we've done a lot of, for the, for the business, you know, not saying that the company wasn't incredible before. I think, you know, the original team and, and owners did an incredible job building this brand and building the company. Um, but you know, with anything, I think you have to leave your own mark and, yeah, and make things better. So you talk about THC, and uh, I'm assuming you're also involved in, C- in the CBD space as well. What is, are there any products that are already out right now, or what's in development, or what's coming next in terms of that industry? So we'll be live, and I would say no later than two months. Okay. So um, August, September? 
yeah, six dates we should be we should be set in. But you know, for me, what what's important is making sure that dope is dope. You know, you can't go to to market with bad product because it changes the whole name and meaning of dope. Right, right. So you know, it will be like having Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, and everything else will be like the Ralphs or Kroger brand. Right. Yeah. That's very important to me. You know, the the stamp of approval of dope and our quality of product will be um, the, the the only thing that's important to mm-hmm. me. So that's been, you know, I've focused on that for about two years now, making sure that we have the right right stuff and that it is dope and that it's the best out there. So what are the products that are coming out? So initially uh, we'll do, you know, vape ends we'll do pre-rolls we'll probably do like custom gummies um a plus flower um those will be the kind of the start and then hmm. we'll roll out more products as what's been the biggest issue in terms of dealing with the um regulations and stuff with that industry or with this industry well that's part of the reason also why i've delayed because the regulations keep changing you know right. they changed several hundred times last year and so for me, I wanted to make sure that the regulations kind of shook out a little bit and got got better before we went to market because, the, you know, uh, the whole point of this is to just grow a great business that's legal and that's, you know, all white white hat stuff. So we, we waited a long time to make sure that it shook out a lot and then now it's time to go. So, you know, just making sure you have the right legal behind you to make sure and that you're legal and safe and doing the best you can and um that's what's that's what we've been doing and and um i'm sure you thought a lot about this but like are are you concerned at all of like how the i guess the public is gonna uh, receive like the you know the fact that it's gonna be under the dope dope brand right like it's known as an apparel brand like it's gonna transition over to this like has that is that something that's been in the works at all or are you just kind of come out with a bang like this is what we're doing now I mean, to be honest with you, I've asked even conservative retailers what they think if we go into THC and and other products, and they said that I think it'll make the brand even better. Mm. Uh, for me, you know, uh, I think I don't really care yeah. if if people don't like the brand because it's going into THC, you know. But is that something like, the brand has stood for that like feeds that feeds into or like i guess what is you know i think the brand culture is saying hey you know you're not wearing dope if you're not smoking dope well if you're not confident with yourself yeah and with with listening to the world saying you know doing this i think you're wearing dope when you're like fuck you this is me this is what i wear and it's wild clothes it's always been that way so i think the same thing with with smoking dope smoking weed you know it's like hey i'm gonna wear this shit because i like it and i feel like the culture is aligned right like it's not like it's not like you're selling like burgers one day and then you're fucking i mean i guess you could sell weed too but like it's not like you're selling burgers one day and like furniture the next like right it's not like the industries are they don't totally different they kind of like flow into one another i mean sure people that are in the in that culture and have been kind of relevant and have stayed up to date with the trends whether with clothing or whether with smoking or whether with food or whatever it may be, are probably part of the same kind of, they're cut from the same cloth. For sure. So I think, I don't know, in my point of view, I think it makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, you're not wearing a, you know, yeah, a product that just you want. Yeah, the it's person. Not, it's not like Banana Republic going into like we. Correct. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, yeah like for sure, it's yeah. not like a Banana Republic Old Navy. Yeah. Saying yo, now we're selling weed. Yeah. Um, you know, I think dope. The culture is. It's people that are confident in themselves, and because of that, they're able to wear funky product that mm-hmm. not everybody can pull off. Right, and you know that's that's the great thing about dope. And those people are also like, "Hey, I want to smoke weed. I want to smoke weed." Mm-hmm. And so it's the same kind of same culture, same vibe. Yeah, and and is the idea to like have it be sold through retail or? online or both i mean i know there's still a lot of there's a lot of rules and regulations with with thc and and cbd but um you know i want to sell to the right places wherever we can get it out to the the right people and sort of distribution yeah i mean we're we're pulling back from the malls anyways yeah um i mean the malls are pulling back from the malls so yeah there's no malls the the brands you know i'm DTLR foot action. I think they're dead. Yeah, I, I don't even know what those are. Yeah, they're East Coast brands yeah. that, you know, I think the the way they do business is terrible. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want my brand sold in there anymore. Uh, today we just pulled out of Macy's. Um, you know, so I'm pulling away from these malls and going into the like the cool boutique shops. And I see that where that's where dope is gonna be in the future. Um, the only mall based, I think, you know, the big one that I, that I think will continue with is like the buckle because their denim program is so incredible. They, mm-hmm. they definitely know jeans better than anybody I've ever, you know, I've ever come across. So, mm-hmm. um, we'll sell jeans there, but most of the other like yeah. mall stores mm-hmm. will we'll probably stop and go to the boutiques because also those boutiques will sell. Our other products like CBD or weed, if that becomes right. legal, but uh, it just kind of gets us back, keeps us in the culture more. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, otherwise, you, like you said, might as well just go to Marshalls or something. And that's just not my <laughs> yeah my mo. So, what is your like day to day like? I mean, are you mostly focused on dope right now, or do you have like a bunch of other things that you're doing? <sighs> uh, it's mostly dope, yeah. yeah. But my days are slammed. It's busy. Like just focusing on like your investments and things like that, or making a lot of moves. You know, I mean, right now it's a lot of big decisions as far as the future of it, um, how to grow this thing. You know, it's it's different if you you know the the brand has one store, and if I was content with one store, my schedule wouldn't be that busy. I'd be chill. Like, yo, we make clothes, we sell wholesale, we have one store, we're great. I bought this business to you know sell for a few billion dollars, so. For me, the aggressive hunger creates more busy mm. um, of a lifestyle. So right now I'm just busy trying to figure out how to grow this thing and and making sure that we're protected when I am ready to sell it. Yeah. When you're not playing the game of business, what game are you playing? Catan. Oh, really? Have you played it? Not yet. I no. know. It's bad. You'll like it. it. It's like Risk and Monopoly combined. Oof. And you beat it, and you play it with like an hour, four players, and you can get the expansion pack four to six. So you just have a bunch of friends come by and just everybody I've ever played with, they become addicted. So yeah, that's my that's my. You'll my love fear. it. Yeah, it's great. My friend Ariel and Levi that um, taught them they're addicted. 
friend Tori and Andre, addicted. Uh, anybody, you, if you play, if you like business, you'll become addicted. But it's such a, it's, it's a brilliant game. It really is because yeah. it's, it's never the same. The board's always different. Mm. It's, it's a random chance, but also skill. So yeah, I played all weekend. My family was in town. Okay, I didn't wow. lose once. <laughs> Sold me. Yeah, I, I got. I, yeah. Maybe our next podcast episode, we just play Catan the whole time while we're talking. It's a. Great I have a lot game. of friends that play. I just never, I never got myself into it because I was like, I know this is gonna be like bad if I do. It's a good but, game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'll like it. So that's what game because it's very business oriented. It's you know taking over. Yeah, just building an empire. Building an empire. I'm curious right now, considering that you're you know an investor, an entrepreneur. What is one of your favorite companies out there right now that you wish you invested in early on? Wow. Um, Amazon. I mean, they're they're crushing it. Um, What's like one that's like under the radar, but like you're like, I wish I invested in them because they're gonna be big or they're on the way up. I mean, if I had, if I wasn't the owner of this, I would have said, "I wish I could invest in Dope." <laughs> I mean, with me running it and uh, and where it's going, I would sink every dollar I had into it. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, Love it. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. I I bet on myself every day. You know, that's I don't put. You know, it's like I'd much rather put money in my own thing. Mm-hmm. I believe in myself more than I believe in some somebody else. Yeah. And I know like I'm sure the business is like competitive in in terms of just whose brand is doing better than the other and I don't know much about it but I can imagine it's just like any other industry type of thing but like how much do you kind of bounce off of like other folks in this industry like is it is it really competitive or is it more like people helping each other out? I think it's both. Um I've got some friends in the industry that, you know, I don't go to for advice as much as I should probably. But, um, you know, my relationships are are important, you know. I mean, so f- that president that resigned from Finish Line, you know, I I hit him and, the, and two other executives from Finish Line that are now retired mm-hmm. for advice on retail expansion. Uh, this past weekend, I called Michael Greenberg, uh, who started Skechers. He's still the CEO of Skechers, and I called him for some advice. Mm. Um, Is he still the CEO? Wow. Yeah, him. Yeah, that's crazy. I think he's the CEO still. He's a great guy. Um, so you know, I'll still reach out to people that uh, for advice occasionally, but I I probably should reach out more. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, it's been awesome, Rob. Thanks for you know Thanks taking the time to me. chat and share your story with us. I mean, like we're we, obviously we see dope everywhere. So as a clothing brand, it's obviously you know as you know it's killing it. But we'll see what happens, and we're excited to see what happens with. We'll get you the, guys the some shift. dope weed. And, and that's the thing on the east coast it's even bigger than the west coast so yeah um i need to focus on yeah bringing it here more but mm-hmm. hopefully you'll see a lot more i think yeah. you will i didn't buy it to keep it the same right um we may pull back on distribution to make it a little more exclusive but you'll definitely keep seeing it love it awesome man thanks for having me guys thank really you. appreciate it